Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to be a, a part of a church that has a heart for missions, a, uh, a heart for evangelism, God, a heart to reach our city, but also a heart to see the uttermost come to know you as Savior. Lord, I do pray for the protection of our pastors and, and leaders as, as they travel and, and have the opportunity to minister abroad. Lord, I pray for the, your protection over this congregation as we are here and we continue uh, in the Lord's work. Uh, and Lord, even when Sam is gone, I thank you for uh, the heart to, to always be training leaders and making disciples and, and, and Sam's wisdom to, to train men up. God, the ministry doesn't have to stop because one man is away. Lord, meet with us this morning. Lead us and guide us as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. While you're turning there, people have been asking me about my shoes, so I'm just going to go ahead and point them out. They're from Kenya. Yeah? All right. They're pretty amazing. You can't have any because they're far away. You can go to Kenya with us in the summer. You can get your own pair. Put them right there so you can keep an eye on them. <laughs> Romans chapter 1. I'm going to give you a big introduction. and We're going we're gonna to drill down onto that idea of vain imaginations as you saw in the title. Take a picture. I know this is an awful slide. There's too many words there. I get that. But, so you just take a picture. I'm going to give you all of Romans chapter 1 in, in like two minutes. Here we go. In the first seven verses, Paul does what he always does, and he has an introduction. It just takes a little longer in Romans. Seven verses to say hello and to greet the people. Uh, but then you get Paul's devotion, and he's talking there about his devotion to the body of believers in Rome. And he says, I thank my God, uh, and I make mention of you always. So he's, he's referring to the relationship that he has with his church and how much he is devoted to them and to pray for them and how deep the, the love that he has for them is, has become a reality in his life that it is impacting uh, you know, his daily life and decisions. Then he talks about his desires which are kind of on the tail end of that same idea. I long to see you, he says in verse 11. And he says, why? That I may impart a gift and that I may be comforted. So he says, I want to come and I want to see the church at Rome because I got something to give you, but your presence is a joy and a comfort for me. And then he also tells you his other desire. He says again that I purpose to come, and this time he says that I might have fruit. So he also says, as I come to you, I'm going to join in the ministry. I'm going to come not just to see, but I want to be fruitful with you guys as well. And then he makes three declarations about his own life. In verse 14, Paul, Paul declares, I am debtor. And he talks about both to the Jews and the Greeks, and for the preaching of the gospel, he's talking about that he is a debtor. And then in verse 15, he says, I am ready, uh, again, to preach the gospel is his declaration. And, and then in verse 16, he declares, I am not ashamed. And all of those are in, in relationship to the gospel and in his desire to have fruit there in Rome. And then in, verse, in the next section, he gives us three revelations. It says that righteousness is revealed in verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Uh, through the gospel, righteousness is revealed. Verse 18, it says that wrath is revealed. So even in the gospel, the other half of the gospel is that if you don't know Christ as your Savior, the wrath of God is also revealed, both on Christ on the cross, but ultimately if you reject it, on you as well. And then he says that the revelation is revealed in verse 20, or the invisible things of God, that God has manifest himself clearly so that, there are, so that all are without excuse. 
The revelation has been made clear and visible things are revealed. And then it starts to take a turn. If you guys are familiar with Romans chapter 1, you know, that's a, that's a great start. It's all high notes, it's, all, it's happy, it's encouraging, but then the rest of Romans chapter 1 is this quick descent into depravity. And it ends with, uh, and, and we'll look at it here in a second, with Paul just listing off all the wickedness of man. And it, and it changes there uh, in the next section. And, and so what you start to see then is next is God's response to man's wickedness. In chapter uh, 1 and verse 24, it says that God gave them up. And in that verse, it's up to uncleanness of the heart and body. In verse 26, again, he says that God gave them up. And this time it's to vile affections. And then in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, unmerciful, uh, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And so it goes downhill. It gets really, really dark and desperate. And it's right there in verse 28 as, as he says that God gave them over. And what did he give them over to? The very end of the line is this reprobate mind. We'll start by taking a quick look at a reprobate mind. What is a reprobate mind? Well, he tells you right here in that verse, um, or, or even as we get through that, that section, but he tells you a reprobate mind is, is a mind that can freely do those things that are not convenient. This is the way that he tells us here. He gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. See, because naturally God has built into man, even the lost man, a conscience, an understanding, a connection to the Spirit. The Spirit, God, He, tell, he tells us here and, and in various places that He is communing and calling all men. But then even saved and lost can come to a place where we can have a reprobate mind where we have so rebelled against the Lord, where we have so despised what He says that He gives us up and our mind is, is, is now free to do those things which are not convenient. Convenient is, a, is a, an interesting word because it's not the way that we think about it. Like quick trip, right? Like it's easy to get to. But it is that. It's that sin, it's that wickedness, it's that all of those things on the list, all of a sudden, instead of having this wall, this barrier, this, this, this knowledge of that's something I shouldn't engage in, that struggle with I shouldn't be there, it all of a sudden becomes open. Like Quick Trip, it's just right there at arm's reach, it's convenient. And you can walk in and you can take it. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 22, it says this, it says, And they gave him audience unto his word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. That phrase, not fit, right there is, is the same word that is used to say reprobate. What does it mean to be reprobate? It's something that is not fit for life. <laughs> not fit to even exist on this, on this earth. 
These people are going, this guy, well, away with him. We've got to kill him. He's not fit that he should live. Well, they were wrong, but a reprobate mind. So if you are able to conveniently, to easily engage in the actions that were on that list, it's because your mind is or is becoming a reprobate mind. Okay? Now, it's, it's kind of a wild list. It's a mixed bag, right? You look at the list, and you're like, murder? I'm not there. You know, that's a big one. Fornication? That's a big one. And you're thinking, well, I would never murder, but uh, I do enjoy some whispering. You know, rumors, secrets, being the one that has the answer, be, always having something to tell somebody. That's on the list too, right? Uh, you're like, well, I, I don't hate God. At least we would say that. That's on the list. But inventing evil, now that's a hobby of mine. Now, they're all on the list. Now, maybe you wouldn't even say inventing evil is a hobby of yours, but if you were to stop and to look at some of the things that maybe you, you create and you do, and you're like, these things are wicked. These things are desperate. But you know what? Here's the deal. They all come from the same place. They all come from the same mind. A reprobate mind will lead into all of these things that are on the list. And so this is our first key point, and this is... This is it's foundational, and you've heard it, but we need to be reminded there is no limit to the depths of the wickedness the reprobate mind will engage in. We like to think, well, I would never be a murderer or a fornicator or whatever the big ones are on your list. I would say you're deceiving yourself because the reality is if we let our minds start to go and we become reprobate, then all of it is equally on the table. And all you have to do is to look around and look at some of the people you know. And I'm sure that you know them. And if you don't, well, you just haven't maybe lived long enough or been around long enough. If you've been here, if you're a pastor here, you know, you're looking, you're thinking, and you know people where you've thought, they would never, I could never imagine that person doing that thing. And you know, that's usually, that's, that's the thing that we say. Every time there's something really awful, there's a, you know, there's a, a, a mass shooting, a school shooting or something like that, and people will go, I knew this kid and never thought that he would be the one that would get, how do you get there? Well, it's because if I'm not guarding my mind, here's the reality. My flesh is equally wicked. And my mind is, is equally vain. And I can get there too. And so can you. So what are the characteristics of a reprobate mind? I want to give you just a couple cross-references here. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the truth. So number one, two characteristics of a reprobate mind. Number one is that it resists truth. How do I know if I have a reprobate mind or if I'm heading down that path to a reprobate mind? A reprobate mind is one that will always resist truth. That means it will uh, resist God's word. It will resist God himself. It will resist biblical counsel. It's the mind that, that can come to, you know, you can be a reprobate and even be sitting in here today because you can come 
and you can hear the preaching, and you can hear God speaking to you, and you can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you can say, you know what? Not today. I'm not ready to deal with that just yet. You know what you're doing? This is a dangerous thing. You're resisting truth. This could be you as a, as a lost person. You see, when there was a time for many of us here, most of us here maybe, where we were lost and, and maybe we were wrestling with the truth of the Gospel. Somebody had, had preached the truth to us. Somebody, uh, you know, had some, somehow through maybe the Scripture or somebody speaking to us, we realized that we were sinners and in need of a Savior. And, and then we wrestled with that. Now, some, you hear the Gospel and they get saved right away. But some of you wrestled with that. You were resisting the truth because the natural man is, it has a reprobate mind, is, is this desire to, the flesh des desires to rebel against Christ. Listen, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, this is the message to you today. He is the Savior, the only Savior, the only way. And the message that He's calling out and delivering to you today is, is come and confess. And that's hard many times because we want to fight against it. Romans chapter 1, uh, here in Romans 1.28, it says the same thing, that they, he gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are uh, not convenient. Oh, sorry, first half of the verse. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They're resisting the truth of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobate. So if you don't know Christ, Paul declared that you're already a reprobate. So that's the first message, and maybe the only message that some of you need to hear today. It could be those of us who are saved, as I mentioned a minute ago, and we just don't want to respond when God speaks. I'll deal with that later. Maybe tomorrow. Now's not a convenient time. Now, let me say this, because I don't want this to come across as being too sensational, you know? Am I saying that, that, if, that if God is convicting you and, and, and you don't get up and come to the altar and deal with it right now, that tomorrow you're going to go out and murder? Probably not. Probably not. Right? Like God is working in your heart over something. It, 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 no, I don't think that tomorrow you're going to be there. But listen... That is, the, that is the beginning of the path, to resist God. But we see God's mercy and God's long-suffering built into Romans chapter 1 uh, as three times he gave them up, he gave them up, and then finally he gave them over. There was chance after chance after chance before God says, okay, then if you want it that way, then I'm going to give it to you. But you know what? As Mark Trotter used to say, if you keep walking the road that you're on, you're going to end up where it goes. So if you're resisting God now, even a little bit, where, what is the end of that road to resist God? It is to resist God. So the right response is today, today is the day to say that I've got to deal with the things that the Lord is working with me on. All right, number two, the second characteristic of a reprobate mind is, is found in Titus 1.16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. 
being an abominable and disobedient unto every good work, reprobate. So their works contradict their word, or they are a hypocrite, we would say. This is an indication of a, of a reprobate, is one who has no fruit, no evidence in their life. Their works are quite different than the, than the declarations that they make with their mouth. Yes, I'm a Christian, but then look at the life, and the life has, 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 is, lived, is being lived completely in rebellion to what the Lord is saying. It's like they were allergic to good works, right? Sometimes I wonder if that's the way my kids are. <laughs> Young kids. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm saved. And then they fight, and then they, whatever, okay. Um, here's, here's what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians 9.27. Paul gave, uh, you know, a, kind of an answer to this. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That's that same uh, Greek word right there that is reprobate. So Paul's, Paul's response, Paul's treatment for this is that I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. It doesn't want to. And sometimes the things of the Lord are hard. In the flesh, they're always hard. The body does not want to evangelize. Right? The flesh does not want to wake up early and read. The flesh does not want to fast and pray. But Paul said, but I stay under it and I bring it into subjection. Why? Because if I don't, and I become a hypocrite, then I'm a castaway, a reprobate. We as a church will be entering into a season of prayer and fasting. And that will start this Tuesday coming up, the 31st. And it will go for two weeks. Sam mentioned that a couple weeks ago in Tuesday night prayer. Maybe you'd forgotten. Um, but this is a good time. A season of prayer and fasting is a good time for us to do this. To get under my body and bring it into subjection and say, you know what, flesh? You don't get to make the decisions. You don't get to make the calls here. Why? Because I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want to get to the place where I'm a reprobate. So, Okay, so, so you got sin in your life, and you got things you struggle with, but is it going to manifest tomorrow in, in the worst possible way? No, but don't give it time, because it will grow. But how did we get there? Because that verse 28 is the end of the line, that reprobate mind, and then all of those things that are there. How did we end up there? And the whole, the whole narrative shifted back in verse 21. Verse 20, God has revealed... Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. This is how it all begins. But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The beginning of that road, the beginning of that path that leads to a reprobate mind is right there in verse 21. And there's two things that, that it tells us are the beginning of that path. Number one, they knew God, but they glorified Him not as God. They fail to glorify God. And number two, they weren't thankful. So these are two critical components that must exist in our life daily, regularly. Is that we must be glorifying God and being thankful because when we stop doing those things, that's the beginning of this path. Which gives us our next key point. The road to reprobate starts with very small steps. 
You know, because the truth is, it's not often that we see men that are truly walking with the Lord, and then all of a sudden, the next day, like, that's it, I'm done. I'm giving it all up, and I'm, I'm leaving my wife, I'm leaving the ministry. Like, it's usually, it's, it's small steps. Now, sometimes it appears that way on the outside, and we'll talk about this in a minute, because those steps have been taken on the inside, and people are good at hiding them. But the Word is given to us to be a light into our paths, into our steps, because every single step matters. Because one step in the wrong direction has realigned my, my direction, and it will now decide where I go. So every step matters. The road to reprobate starts with small steps, because when you think about it, you're like, well, not being thankful. Is that really a big thing? Is that really a big deal? If I forget to to thank God for stuff. And we might convince ourselves that, you know, that's actually kind of a small thing. But God says that's a big thing. And so here's our, our third key point. is this. Placing God in the position He deserves is our primary protection. And this is always the failure. This is always the beginning of that road that will lead us down to a, to a reprobate mind where we're doing things that were before unthinkable and now have become convenient. Is that we stop placing God in the position that He deserves in our life. It's pretty amazing the way that God you know, set everything up. He is God after all, so you know, it should be amazing. Um, but he gave us you know, two ordinances. We got to participate in one this morning, the Lord's Supper, the other being baptism. And, and uh, both of those are designed to do these two things, to, to help us to, to keep these two things a priority in our life. Thanksgiving and then uh, glorifying God and putting him in a right position. When we see somebody else get baptized, uh, that should be a reminder to us of what he did for us. And we should be thankful, but it should also reestablish his, his pre preeminence in our life. Same thing with the Lord's Supper. And this is why we were instructed to do this uh, regularly. Today, this morning, you didn't even know it, maybe, but that was a, an opportunity for us to realign and to make sure that we are not heading down a path to where we become reprobates in our mind. Stop. Be thankful and put Christ in the position that He deserves in your life. Now, you get a little interesting insight into um, biblical biology here in this, mind. I'm, in this verse. I'm, I'm a nurse, so I had to study a lot of biology. I feel like I know a good bit about the human body. But here's what God tells us uh, about biblical biology, and it's this, is that um, because, verse 21, that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. And then here's what comes out of that. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Biblical biology says that our heart and our mind are tied together. Right? And we know there's connections, like, physiologically. Those two are important. Those are pretty important systems. If your brain or your heart stops working, your body's done. But this is a really important spiritual reality, too, is that our heart and our mind are tied together because the things that I think begin to influence my heart and they become my desires. And, and my desires 
the things that I, I'm really interested in, like, they influence the way I think. And those two are tied together. And, and, and when, when this, you know, when we stop worshiping, when we stop being thankful and positioning God where, where He needs to be, those two things go. My heart and my mind. Our mind becomes vain and our heart becomes darkened. And so vain imaginations. That was all the introduction. It was all set up to get us here. We want to talk for a few more minutes about vain imaginations. So what are vain imaginations and what does God think about it? And let's start with this. What is God's position on vain imaginations? Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to, to running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So here it is. God's position is, is this. Number one, he hates it. And it's good to recognize that. Because when we have God's heart, then we will not only love the things that God loves, but we will hate the things that God hates as well. And so we must take a position that I hate wicked imaginations. I hate it. Again, he ties it to the heart. We think of imaginations, you know, as a mind thing, but he says a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. He's letting you know that it's, it's deeper. These imaginations that he's talking about, it's deeper than just a thought that may come. It, it really becomes a part of who you are as it settles into your, your heart. So our thoughts, again, and our desires are, are tied together. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 17 says, And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor, and love no false oath. For all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. So again, God just makes his position clear. Vain imaginations, I hate it. Vain imaginations in any in any, any realm, you know, in any area of thought, specifically there in Zechariah, and we'll come back to this, it's vain imaginations against your neighbor. Okay. What else do we need to know? God's, God's position or the truth about uh, vain imaginations. Number two is this, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This was the state of man in Genesis chapter 6. This is what led God to, to bring a flood and to destroy the earth. Is it there that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, only evil continually. After the flood, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21, uh, God is making a, a covenant um, uh, in establishing kind of this, this new world now with Noah and his family, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing that I have done, as I have done. And so this is the next uh, reality that we need to get. This is the next thing that we need to see from God's perspective. Vain imaginations are common to man. Okay? Vain imaginations are common to man, so we are all in the same boat. 
So maybe you, you're here and you, you've been thinking, I, I do have some crazy imaginations, but I think, I'm, you know, I think I'm the oddball out. Listen, you're not the oddball. You fit in. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, yeah, but you know, uh, Pastor Sam and, and Pastor Brandon, like there's some holy men in this place. They don't have vain imaginations. Um, based on what God says, I'm going to say they do have vain imaginations. I'll just speak for myself. I'm a man, made of flesh, with the same struggles that you guys have. Vain imaginations are common to all of us. So the reality is, it's something we all have to fight, it's something we all have to face. But the other reality is, is that the men who do lead you, in many ways, understand where you're at. Like Christ, who is... Not fully. I'm not saying our pastors are that much like Christ, who is in all ways tempted as we are yet without sin. That's not us. But a lot of times, we can say, you know what? I've been there. I probably did sin, and I learned from it. And here, let me show you what God taught me, and let me show you what the Word says. So it's, it's common. All right? Number three, in terms of uh, foundational truths about uh, vain imaginations, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 17 at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. So a future time where we have a kingdom and everyone's coming to, to worship the Lord. To the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk anymore after the imagination of their evil heart. And so here's the good news. Reality number three is that God will do away with this in his kingdom. In God's presence, in God's kingdom, when his kingdom is finally established, the imaginations of our wicked heart will be gone. So there is hope into the future, right? There is hope for that adoption that we, that we long for, the redemption of, of even this body and the new man that will be put on. It, 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 the hope is that one day God himself will deal with it and there will be no more wicked imaginations. But there's also hope in that because this idea of sanctification, the idea that the word of God can change my life in every way means that there is hope for victory even now. No, it may not be completely gone, but there is hope for victory. So I want to define vain imaginations and give you a few examples uh, from, the, from the life of Christ and talk about it practically, okay? So let's start with what is not, what vain imaginations are not. We hear that word imagination and we might think of it like uh, creativity. Uh, what I don't want you to take away is that, that James is saying, or the Bible is saying, that we can't be creative, right? That's not it, because God is a creator. That is, that is an aspect of who he is, and uh, I think that's an aspect of how he made us to be as well. He gave that part of, uh, of him to us, to be a creative people uh, as well. So it's not that I'm saying, you know, if you're an artist, then you're wicked. I'm not, I don't understand art. I don't understand artists. Outside of the pulpit, I might almost make that blanket statement, but uh, no, I can't say it. Artistic creativity in and of itself is not bad. You know, the creativity to be a problem solver, or maybe to be like a, a, a thinker, an entrepreneur, to, to build business, to find solutions to some of the things that are going on in the world. You're an engineer and your job is, is to be creative. And, and part of that means that you're in your mind and you're imagining and you're looking at, at, at you know, the, the reality that's around you and you're trying to find ways to deal with it. That's not what we're talking about. All right? Uh, all of that is okay when, when used appropriately. In fact, that is how God design, designed it. 
what it is, what, what is wicked imaginations? Primarily it's this, it's the, the internal monologue. I wouldn't even say dialogue because there's nobody else there. It's an internal monologue. It's the inner debate with myself. It's that monologue that, that runs through my mind when, when I'm angry at somebody or when a situation has happened, maybe somebody has let me down, made a mistake. And then in my mind, like, I'm, I'm working it out. By working it out, I mean, actually, I'm really, I'm like, I'm giving it to them. I'm letting them know. Like, I'm telling them how much they failed me and how much of a failure they are. And, you know, like, we run these situations in our mind, right? Not, not, not processing it biblically and processing it through what the Word says, but we're like, man, when I see them, I'm going to tell them this, and I'm going to tell them this, and I'm going to tell them this. But then we see them, and we don't tell them this and this and this. And then, it, you know, it just stays there in our mind. And uh, we think about it more over the next few days. It's this ability to create a narrative in my mind specifically about other people that is not true in reality. These are vain imaginations. It's, as you see on the screen, I wrote it this way, it's an invented situation or response that has been played out in my mind but never brought out into reality and it does not follow biblical truth. Maybe some synonyms we would use would be assumptions and presumptions, interpretations. Like there's a real event that happens, but then we interpret it. And this is exceptionally dangerous because those thoughts can begin to impact our reality. Um, I think a lot of young kids will go through kind of this stage in their growth where, you know, they, they get these crazy imaginations. Some kids more than others, right? Some kids are really vivid and uh, they think all these things, but then they bring those things out and they make those things play out in their reality. And that's dangerous. And this is our fourth key point for study today. Listen, never allow your imaginations to determine your reality. The things that are going on in my mind that I have created are not real until I can bring them out and I can talk about them with the person that they, that they involve. Otherwise, I've created all of this stuff and then all of a sudden there's a separation between, between the body, there's separation between a family, there's separation between friends, you're, you're divided from your pastor because something happened months ago and then you started thinking about it and instead of talking to them, you thought about it. And the more you thought about it, the more it became real in your mind and you're able to imagine these situations. And all of a sudden you're projecting this false reality onto the people around you. You know, it happens in all kinds of ways. Like in Home Alone, Kevin was afraid of his basement. You remember that? Because the, like the, the fireplace was going to eat him. Like that's a vain imagination and that's silly. I'll give you an example. Well, let's look at Jesus real quick first. Luke chapter 5, verse 20 to 22. And when he saw their faith, so they've brought a, a man to be healed, and, and when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. This is a, you know, a leper, I mean, sorry, a, a paralyzed man. And, uh, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Can God forgive sins but God alone? Or who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, same word is translated as imaginations, 
He answered unto them, What reason ye in your heart? So this is a, a, is a biblical example of vain imaginations. A, a scenario has just played out in front of them. Jesus sees this man and he says, Your sins are forgiven you. And they know what the law says. They start with the word, but then they disregard it and they go, Well, this guy, you know, he must be a heretic and he must be a liar. And, and they start imagining their own reality into this scenario. And they just play it out in their mind. They're not discussing it. They're not bringing it out. None of them are approaching Jesus about it. Nobody has said, Jesus, uh, help us to understand this. Now, Jesus, because he is God, he can read their thoughts. And so he knows their imaginations. And here's how Jesus deals with it. He brings it into the light. This is Jesus' method, and this is the best method of dealing with it. And here's a good counseling question. Jesus asks it. What reason you in your hearts? That's a tough question. That means, explain to me how you came to this conclusion. How, how did you process this? How did you get to where you're at? This is a good question that we need to be asking ourselves. What am I reasoning in my heart? When we're counselors uh, dealing with others or dealing with vain imaginations, this is what we need to be asking. What reason you in your heart? Why? Because it needs to get out of your heart and it needs to come out into reality. And you just come out into reality, not in front of somebody who's going to agree with you and like uh, is a whisperer and like loves to, to join in on that. It needs to come out into reality in front of somebody who can give you counsel and is not afraid to stand on God's word and, uh, and direct you. Same thing happens in Luke chapter 24. Christ is risen, verses 36 through 39. And as they thus spake, Jesus, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your heart? Imaginations, again, these are vain imaginations. So they're seeing a situation and they're playing it out differently in their mind. They're rejecting all reality and they're, they're creating their own version of it in their mind. But again, Christ knows their hearts and Christ brings it to light. Why do thoughts arise in your heart? Again, the thoughts are coming out of the heart. Interesting biology. Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone. So they're thinking this must be a, you know, a ghost. And Jesus' way to deal with that was come and look at what is real. Number one, tell me what you're thinking. Number two, let's look at the evidence. See these? See these feet? Get me some fish. And then he eats, right? And he's like, look, ghosts don't eat. Ghosts don't even like fish. I don't know what ghosts do eat, but it's not fish, okay? So Jesus is like, look, take the evidence and deal with that. Touch me. Watch me. Now listen. Vain imaginations usually start small, and we don't deal with them. And then they grow, and then they grow, and then they grow. And we have seen it as pastors. Man, over the past year, we've, I've had men tell me that, that they've been angry. Not angry. Hated is the word. I've hated one of our pastors for the last two years. Why? Because something happened in my life, and I imagined, and I imagined, and I imagined. Did you talk to that pastor? No. We've had, we've had men and women leave the ministry because of a perceived slight or, a dis, or, or something that, that it's not even real. But you've made it real in your mind. I'll give you an example you know, from my life. 
And of course, as all examples from real life go, I'm going to include Brandon in it. That's what everyone does from the pulpit, right? Mission focus. If you guys were here, we had a, uh, an ordination and a graduation. And when, as we're getting things prepped, there were some chairs that needed to be on the, the stage. Brandon's in charge of all this, so he, you know, he wants to make sure it goes right. And he realizes we're one chair short. And he says, James, can you run and get a chair? I was like, yeah, I'll go get a chair. And a lot's going on, because it's like three minutes till start, but I'm going to go get a chair. There's no chairs anywhere downstairs, so I have to go up in the balcony. Anyway, I get a chair. By the time I get back, there's another chair on the, on the stage. And he goes, oh, um, I thought you got busy or something. I, I asked somebody else, and they grabbed a chair. Okay, no big deal. That's, that's, that's the facts of the situation. You know what thought came into my mind? I go, oh, so Brandon doesn't trust me? You don't trust me to get a chair? I can handle this. A chair. Come on. I'll get two chairs. I'll, pr I'll make a row of chairs. You know, this thought, and it's silly. It's silly, it is. It really is. It's silly. But you know what it is? It's vain. It's a vain imagination. And you know what's going to happen if I don't either one... 2 Corinthians 10, 10, 5, that thing. Cast that out. Deal with it rightly. If I don't do that, you know what's going to happen? It's going to stay there. And in a week, it's going to come back. In a few other days, it's going to come back. And I'm going to have in my mind this, this untrue reality that Brandon now doesn't trust me. And we're going to be here one day at work at the, in the offices, and he's busy, and he's, you know, he's going to come in. He's got his mind on something. He's not going to say hi to me. And I'm going to be, it's because he doesn't trust me. He can't talk to me. And I'm going to start creating all of this nonsense that's not even real. But I'm going to let that go on for weeks and weeks, and this is what we do. And it started as something so small and insignificant. It's a chair on a stage. But after a year, you know what that is? It's in all kinds of different places. And in my heart, I'm distanced from Brandon, and now, you know what? I, I, he doesn't trust me, so I can't trust him. Obviously, clearly. And this thing will build. And, and you know what? The unfortunate reality is the way that it expands. Well, I've, I can't trust his wife. Like anyone who trusts Brandon. I can't trust it. And this is how it go. Like it gets out of control. And now all of a sudden, we're at odds. You know, I, I, got, I dealt with that thing. I was like, I can't let this thought be in my mind. He told me, he's like, oh, I thought you were busy or whatever. I asked someone else, they grabbed a chair. Cool. Now we're done with it. But that's how it starts. Those are vain imaginations. And we cannot allow it. Because it's the beginning of this path that will lead us down to a reprobate mind. And it will destroy us. And it takes root, and it only, like anything that takes root, it only grows. And you guys know, your, your natural heart is good soil for vain imaginations. And they will just keep coming. Sam has said it. He credits it to the old-timers, used to say. So I'll do the same. The old-timers used to say. You can't stop the birds from flying into the barn but you can stop them from building a nest. The objective of dealing with vain imaginations is to not have perfect thoughts all the time. 
but to recognize the ones that cannot stay and to deal with it. And your primary way of dealing with it is to get up and to talk to somebody. Zechariah 7.10, Oppress not the widow, neither the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in his heart. We need our praise team to come up. We're going to close. And this is how we you know, deal with vain imaginations. I've given you some help all along the way, but I'll give you 1 Chronicles 28.9. David says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth the hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Here's how we deal with it. We have to get a father, a father in the faith. We have to have someone like David that, that will give us, give us the truth. So get a good counselor in your life. You need to know God. You need to be willing to serve him. And you need to recognize this. It says here that, that he understandeth the imaginations of the thoughts. Not only does he know them, he understands them. And that's encouraging and comforting. You go, nobody's going to understand the way that I think. I'm dark. I'm, I must be broken. No, God understands even the root of that. And since he understands, he has an answer. He is the counselor. Because the only other option is Jeremiah 7.24. But they hearken not nor incline their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. So we're going to enter into a time of prayer and in response. If you need to deal with the Lord, do it now. If you need to deal with somebody in this room, do it now. My prayer is simple, that we would incline our ear and our heart to the Lord and that we would walk forward not backward. Amen?